That song, um, Shield About Me, makes me think of um, the story in, a, in 2 Kings chapter 6 when Elisha um, prays for his servant. They're surrounded by the enemy. Um, and um, it's, it's like certain death, you know, and, the, and, and uh, his servant is just having a meltdown. And he prays, my God, open his eyes that he can see you. And, and he lifts up his eyes and they see the, the hills, the mountains surrounding them, covered in the chariots of fire, you know, of, of God. Um, a similar scene takes place with Hezekiah. And he's surrounded by 185,000 Assyrians. And, and it's one of the most rated R moments in the Bible, the things that Sennacherib says uh, that is going to happen to the people within the walls. And Hezekiah takes the letter of Rabshakeh and he comes before God and he spreads it out before God and he says, this is what he's saying about you and your people. And you almost see terror within Hezekiah's heart, not for what's going to happen to him or his people, but what's going to happen for those that stand against them. Um, you are standing against the living God right now. Elijah expresses similar language when he walks into the heart of the enemy. And he says, alone in a city, alone in a nation that is hostile towards him and God, that wants him dead, and standing alone, he says, you have defied the living God. Similar scenes take place through David and countless other times in the Bible where God assures his servant, I am a shield around you. I will protect you. And I will exalt you. Uh, that's going to be a lot of the theme, the, the theme of the close of Psalm 84 this morning. Just a moment, Colton's going to come read uh, that for us. Um, we're going to have a prayer, but I just want to ask a special, I want to open with a prayer of blessing over you. Uh, that if maybe you feel surrounded in your life, you feel that there are hostile forces, you feel that there's something that stands against you. Uh, I pray that God would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would know and feel his presence. Um, I love it that we live at the base of the mountains, and it's beautiful for me at times when I feel overwhelmed um, just to look up at Horsetooth and just to picture in my mind that image, God's armies surrounding me. Um, Let's pray. Uh, Father, I just want to lift up to you... um, our hearts, and I want to lift up to you those that are in this room and those that may be listening, uh, God, that there are, there are so many that feel overwhelmed and um, are struggling with pain and issue and lo- issues and loneliness that is kind of outside of our control. And I pray, Father, that you would take the words of the song we just sang and that you would inscribe them in our hearts that you would remind us that you are a shield around us. You are the lifter of our heads. And I pray, God, that you would take Psalm 84 this morning and breathe life and meaning into it in our own experience. It's in the name of Christ we come before you. Amen. I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Psalm 84 and maybe follow along as, as Colton comes and shares that with us.
How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on the anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a rising... The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Thanks, Colton. Um, that psalm uh, mentioned, we spent six weeks in that psalm. And um, that, I hope it has meant to you what it means to me. Um, particularly this summary of the psalm and kind of closing up the psalm of what it means to be blessed in a life that's blessed. Um, uh, this is going to be incredible. I'm going to pick up here in just a moment in verse, verse 11. Before I do, I want to kind of bring you back to where we were last week. Um, this psalm is written by the sons of Korah. Uh, is what they called themselves. And they, they associated themselves with Korah. And Korah is known, I mean, he's mentioned all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, always associated with rebellion against Moses. God had chosen Israel among the nations of the world. He had chosen Levi to be the tribe that was close to his heart, within the ta- close to the tabernacle, particularly the Kohathites. And uh, the Merorites were responsible for moving poles, the um, Gershonites responsible for moving tapestries and, and hangings, but particularly the Kohathites were responsible for moving the holy articles. You remember the story of um, of uh, Uzzah um, when when he stables the ark. It, probably he was a Kohathite, but not even the Kohathites were allowed to touch the the articles themselves. In fact, they were lazy in that story. You remember they're not carrying it all at all. They're putting it on a cart. You know that's kind of the the part the problem with that story. But anyway. Um, the Kohathites were chosen from among all of them. And then Moses and Aaron were particularly chosen. And there's this thing where, where Korah rose up because he wasn't content with his position. He wasn't satisfied with his station, but he wanted more. But they were given the unique honor to be doorkeepers, to be those that, that um, had this position close to the altar of God. And so these people that are leading the praise of Israel, and in the book of Psalms, it's not really written by that many people. The oldest Psalm, I think it's Psalm 90, was written by Moses. You have two Psalms written by Solomon. Most of the Psalms are about half of the Psalms written by David. And then you have these three central individuals, Jeduthun, sometimes he's called Ethan, Asaph, and Haman. And most likely, these are those that were associated with the sons of Korah. So when you see that, it's probably some of the same connection. But that's generally the book of Psalms is that, this group of people. And when you hear these Psalms today, we hear them read. 
Uh, and, and, and Colton did an amazing job on that reading. And, and when you sit here, you think about um, that's how we hear it. But imagine how they heard it. Imagine the worship and the praise of tens of thousands in one voice lifting up these psalms. That's a lot of what you would have experienced um, back then. And so this was a psalm that would have been raised by a nation that meant so much to them. But it talks about a life of purpose. Um, before I get into to the text and pick up here with, with verse 11... Uh, there's two movies that I was thinking of this morning um, that I think are incredibly profound movies. Uh, one you probably haven't seen in a while, but it's The Truman Show. I think The Truman Show really is a, I think it's an excellent movie, but it really drives an amazing point home. It's about a man who lives an incredibly mundane life. And everything he does is just by routine. You wake up at the same time every day. Everything goes. The same lady is walking her dog by your house. When you leave the house, you say goodbye to your same neighbor. And, and, and so many of us identified with the movie already. Because you're like, wow, yes, this is how mundane life is. This is how mundane life feels. Just there's nothing to it. I'm just waking up. To make money to pay bills for a house and I'm going to sell it someday and die. And I'm really no different than, I always compare it to, to fire, well you don't have fire ants here, but to ants. Um, I always, I remember when I was a kid, I always used to watch fire ants and I'd, I'd, I'd do horrible things to them. And, and I'd, I'd sit there with a magnifying glass and burn them while they were walking on their trails and stuff. But I remember sitting there thinking, what a, what a dumb existence ants have. Do you know that they almost never sleep? Um, it's even been rumored ants don't sleep. Um, but if they do, it's only a matter of minutes. And all they do, all they live for, is to move dirt from one place to another. And sometimes, maybe eggs. But ants have no purpose at all. Outside of just moving dirt back and forth. And and you watch it, and it's so amazing when you when you look at that and you see their trails and you see everything they're doing and then you pan back and you just get on Google Earth and look at Los Angeles and you see the exact same pattern with humans. You see highways of lined up with cars going back and forth and what are we doing? We're moving dirt from one place to another and, and, and you, you get this sense of Life has no meaning. It has no purpose at all. The greatest poets wrote about this. Um, Dead Poet Society, one of my other favorite movies, keeps going back to Walt Whitman, and it goes back to this poem that Walt wrote where he says, um, I'm on a first name basis with, and uh, he, he, he wrote about, he goes, man, I'm, he's looking at the trains and he's seeing the multitudes, and he's seeing countless people, and he says, what, what does it really matter? What am I among so many what does my life mean? And then he just sit, writes this. The answer is this, that you have life and existence, that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. So much of, much of poetry, Walt Whitman, I read Leaves of Grass when I was young, so much of poetry has to do with life and meaning. And what am I even here for? What is the point of it all? And this has everything to do with Steve's class this morning, and I hope you, you get to listen to that. But it's sort of like, Purpose. What am I, what is this word purpose? It's foreign to us. My very favorite poem that's been written, um, outside of anything in the, in the Psalms here, it, it was written by an atheist, well, kind of an atheist, non-theist, uh, Nietzsche. Um, he wrote a poem that's famous called The Madman. 
And that's where you get, you get the famous line, God is dead. But I want to give you some context behind that line and why this is such a powerful poem. Nietzsche writes this. He goes, man, and he's writing a story about society and religion. This is what this is demonstrating. And he's just giving you facts. This is just facts coming from a non-theist. So he says that there was a madman running through a village and he's carrying a lantern. And he's holding it out and he's crying and he's desperately looking. And he keeps calling out, my God, where are you? Where is God? And all the people start in the marketplace start laughing at him. And they start mocking him. And they say, well, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's indisposed. Maybe he's in the bathroom. And that's what all the people are saying about God and they're mocking the whole thing. And then... It's one of the most powerful scenes. He says the madman took the lantern and he smashed it on the ground and everything went dark. And he said, I'll tell you where God is. God is dead. You killed him. We all killed him. And what are these church buildings if they're not sepulchers of God? Is what he says. And then he says some powerful, powerful words. He says this, and who gave us the authority? to unchain the earth from her son. And now where are we headed? Can't you feel the breath of emptiness on your face? Can't you feel it getting colder? Can't you get it? And the whole poem is about this. There is no God. And because there is no God, there is no purpose. There is no meaning. There is no right. There is no wrong. There is no up. There is no down. Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. It's all stupid. We die and there is no truth. There is no good. There is no evil. There is no right. There is no wrong. We're dead. And that is one of the most honest poems ever written. Because if there is not a God, life has no meaning. And I have to believe that I was put on this planet for more than to scream at other people because of their political views that happen to be relevant in the age that I'm living in. If there is a God, then he is everything. All that matters. That's everything there is. And that is what this psalm is ultimately about The blessed life is a life lived for purpose. Going back to the Truman Show, every little mundane act that he did, brushing his teeth, everything, crowds and crowds of people are watching it. And they're eating their popcorn and they're in the bars and they're in the restaurants and they're watching this and they're excited about every mundane detail of his life. And I was thinking, what an application to our life before God. Um, there's so many aspects to the Truman Show that I think are super corny when you try to compare it to something as big as this. But how true that I live a life that appears painful, mundane, lonely, meaningless, short. I'm going to come before God and say, this is all I've got to offer. But the truth is, there is a larger scene going on. That's what's powerful about the book of Job. It opens outside of the dome. It opens out there and it says, big picture. Big picture that Job doesn't see because he's inside here. Big picture that he doesn't get and he doesn't understand, but it's all about purpose, right? So that brings us to our text. Look at this. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. 
No good thing does he withhold from him whose walk is blameless. There are a couple of words we're uncomfortable using today that the Bible uses all of the time. Blameless is one of those words. There's not one of us that you're ever going to hear get up in this pulpit. I hope. I don't know. I shouldn't hope that because they did it in the Bible. But you're never going to get us to say, man, I'm a blameless person. Um, That's not language we would use. Did you know it's all over Scripture? Job is called blameless. Noah is called blameless. Did you know that you're not supposed to select elders? In Titus, it says what? They have to be what? Blameless. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) You know, at least in our vernacular, we think like that. But it uses that language throughout Scripture, this blameless person. And so it doesn't mean that this person doesn't have sin in their life. Man, David is blameless in Scripture, okay? Uh, But it means this, that they live their life with integrity before God. Um, You know, through it all. goes on, it says, The Lord Almighty, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. This is the third blessing pronounced in the psalm. It says this, verse 4. Um, Let's put these up. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. And then it closes, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Um, This psalm has been referred to as the Beatitudes of the Old Testament because of the series of blessings that it pours out. This is what it looks like to live a life that's blessed. Now, in the Beatitudes, when Jesus stands in in his Sermon on the Mount, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. The point of those verses is to redefine our understanding of what blessing looks like. Do you know that 112 times the word makarios, blessing, is used in the New Testament? 112 times. Did you know that not once is blessing in the New Testament associated with physical blessings? Not once is it associated with material wealth. In 112 instances, it's always associated with something else. And the kinds of people that are blessed, it says, are what? Those who are suffering. Those who are going through pain. Those who are are being abused. And it says, you're blessed. That is not what hashtag blessed generally means today. That's not what it seems to have carried. That's not what it seems to have carried even in their society. Jesus came to redefine what does it look like to live a life that's blessed. And ultimately, it's this. To live a life with meaning and purpose. To live a life that at the end, I brought glory to God. I can celebrate in that God looked down on my life and smiled. If Job knew that, if he could have seen his father looking down on him and just bursting with pride, it's sort of like you know that, that, that young athlete that is coming in um, he's coming in second place and he's failing his father who's watching from the stands and he feels like, man, I worked so hard and I wanted to do this for my dad. I wanted to impress my dad. I wanted to be something and I failed him. And then the dad, the son doesn't look through the father's eyes. The, the father looks at his son and he's never been more proud. And he looks at him and says, I just want to embrace you. It's not what you thought it was. And that's what you see in the story of Job. Um, Job is ultimately, uh, I like that Steve, Steve has really helped my thinking a whole lot when going through this book. It's not necessarily about a bet. I know that's cheap language to use. But we have to keep in mind that through the whole book, it's about a, a wager, a bet. It's a challenge. Will he fear you for nothing? 
And you can't let go of the challenge through the book because that is the context. Will he fear you for nothing? And does he manage to do it? Does he manage to live a life that regardless if everything is taken away, no matter what pain I go through, regardless, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return. I will live a life that blesses the name of the Lord through it all. And in the end, uh, this psalm has been about one major thing, living a life where I am unchained from this world. I am no longer chained to it. I live a life of pilgrimage. It's a journey. Passing through life and saying, I'm only here for one reason, to bring God glory in everything that I do. There's an ancient, uh, um, like I guess it's an Irish uh, parable, and I think it's so incredibly, it has such an incredibly beautiful point. Uh, but it speaks about the babies in, in limbo. I don't know if you've heard about limbo, but it's an ancient I- idea that uh, there are souls waiting to be born into the world. Forget that aspect of it. But within limbo, this story goes, an angel comes into the room and to the babies that are waiting to be born into the world. And he, and he says this, he says, I need someone to be born into the world and to be willing to live a life for the glory of God. Hold on to that. For the glory of God. And, and you're going to go through this life and you are going to live a life of privilege and influence. And you are going to be an intelligent person, an eloquent person, and you are going to um, bring God's word to a lot of people. And you're going to live in wealth and prosperity. And you are going to impact tens of thousands of people. And you're going to do all of this for the glory of God who is willing And every hand in the room shoots up and says, let me, let me live that life. And so they choose someone. And then the angel comes back into the room and he says, now I need someone to be born into the world for the glory of God. And you're going to go through a life of pain. And you are going to be rejected by everyone. And you are going to feel like there is no purpose and there is no meaning. And you're going to be inflicted throughout your life. You will not have children. Everyone in your family will leave you. This is the life you're going to be born into and you will not impact a soul for Christ in this lifetime. And I need you to do it all for the glory of God. And every single hand in the room shoots up. Because in the the eternal perspective, it does not matter what God uses me for and what angle. The what matters is, do I live life for His glory That is what's blessed. That's what it is to be blessed. Jeremiah experienced an incredibly blessed life because Jeremiah had the privilege of representing God. Um, You, I want to say a prayer over you that comes from Ephesians 1 in just a moment. But those of you who have chosen to bear the name Christ... Um, and I'm, I'm referring to the priestly blessing in, in number six. He says this, in that blessing he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I'm forgetting the priestly blessing. But he goes through all of this and may he cause his face to shine upon you and, and, and honor you basically. He says this, And so you will put my name on the Israelites. The the last part of the priestly blessing is saying this. In blessing those people, you will put my name on them. 
for those of us who bear the name Christ, who wear the name Christian, we're doorkeepers in the kingdom of God. We're in charge of the very sacred things of God in this life to represent him in this world. There is no greater honor than we could be given, no greater privilege than to walk through this world and bear the name of Christ in this world. Um, I want to ask that blessing over you uh, from Ephesians 1. Um, And then I'm going to close in a prayer. But the reason I wanted to open this year with Psalm 84 and spend time just in this psalm, just kind of sitting at his feet, because I think it's so important for the kingdom of God, for Christians, to look at this psalm and say, man, this is right. I'm blessed because I find refuge in God. I'm blessed because I'm unchained from this world and I'm living in pilgrimage. And I'm blessed because I have a higher hope than living this life just to move dirt from one place to another. I'm actually living my life for its designed purpose. This is the blessing of Ephesians 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Um, For those that are not in Christ this morning, and I know I don't do this often, if you're not in Christ, and I know some of you that, just like me, you know what it is to really struggle with faith in God. But I want to say this. The Christian life is not simply about coming to church and singing songs and hoping we go to heaven someday. The Christian life is something so much more profound than that. It is a life of purpose and meaning and depth. We've embraced the truth that Nietzsche discovered. Life outside of God has nothing. And the opposite is quite true. Life in God is full of purpose in every mundane act, every single day, every single relationship is invested with incredible meaning. And my prayer for you is this. I appreciate the struggle. I've gone through this struggle in my life of believing in God. I know it. But I pray that you would discover sooner, more than later, your calling in God. Um, my father, I want to ask this blessing over our lives that we would, you would open the eyes of our hearts and our minds to under. That, God, I, I really appreciated something that was said in class this morning that we, that we may not discover meaning or reason. I, I don't even ask that we understand so much of what our calling or what we go through, but I just pray, Father, that you would invest us with a sense of purpose in it all. I pray, God, that um, you would redefine what Christianity is to this world, that we have in you embraced uh, the truth that this life is divine, 
It is a miracle. And you've invested it with incredible purpose. And I pray, God, for your kingdom today that we would live our lives, every single one of us, in whatever circumstance you've called us to for the single purpose of bringing you honor and blessing. I pray, God, that the heart of Psalm 84 would be uh, would beat in your church today. That's in the name of Christ we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God.